Welcome to Opus Private Clients Wealth Style Podcast. All of the material discussed on our podcasts have specific themes, and that's to move your wealth and lifestyle forward, increase your purpose, and provide you with clarity and confidence. Opus's mantra is always forward. We have found that regardless of one's wealth, moving your lifestyle forward is the number one priority for our clients. On our podcast, we'll share our rich 35 years of experience in designing strategies, share clients' experiences, and introduce resources that have positively impacted our clients. We trust that you will enjoy our direct, transparent, and realistic approach to positively impacting the quality of you and your family's lives. Now, on to the show. Hello, and welcome to Opus Private Clients Wellstyle Podcast with Michael Perry. Now, Michael Perry is the senior founder of Opus, and I'm very excited to talk to him. This is my first time today. Michael, hello. How are you? How are you, Eric? I am doing fantastic. I know that you have a special guest today on the podcast, and you're running the show. Why don't you go ahead and introduce him to the audience, Michael? Thank you, Eric. We're so pleased to have Anthony Ania of Ania Scanlon and Sergnano LLP join us for a discussion on uh, the topic of wills and trusts. Anthony has concentrated his practice for many years on elder law, wills, trusts and estates, asset protection, and special needs planning. His bio and accolades are remarkable. A few of the highlights are Anthony has published hundreds of articles on those subjects. He's been a frequent lecturer to other professionals, including attorneys, CPAs, and financial advisors. He was selected Lawyer of the Year in Trusts and Estates in White Plains in 2019. He was also selected by his peers as a super lawyer for 11 consecutive years. And he's been selected for inclusion as Best Lawyers in America for Elder Care Planning. Welcome to my friend, Anthony Ania. Thank you, Mike. Thank you very much. I'm so pleased to be on your podcast and so happy that Opus Private Client LLC invited me to participate in this. And I look forward to answering as many of your questions as possible. Well, then let's get right to the questions. Most of these we hear from our friends and clients. Let's get to the first one. Why is it so important for everyone to have a will, Anthony? Well, that's an excellent question. Uh, The reason it's important to have a will is that if you were to die without a last will and testament and you were to have assets in your name alone, then you would not be in control of where those assets go. They would pass to whomever are the heirs at law under the laws of intestate administration in the state where you reside. So when you have a last will and testament, the will will control the assets that are in your name alone, and then you can specify in that last will whom you want to be the beneficiaries, the percentages, the amounts, whether it's outright or in trust, and you can designate who you want to be the executor of your last will. Whereas if you die with assets in your name alone and don't have a will, then the laws are going to dictate who gets the money and virtually anybody can apply to be the administrator of your estate. So if you do have any assets 
And irrespective of the age you are, it's really important to have a last will and testament. Thank you. Excellent. What's the difference between a will and a trust? Well, a will is a document that is not recognized by law unless it's accepted to probate. So let's say, for example, I die and I have a house and $200,000 in my name alone, no named beneficiaries. In order for my will to be valid, the person that's nominated as the executor of my will must offer the will for probate in the surrogate's court of the county where the decedent resided. So there is this probate process that must occur and the will must be accepted into probate by the probate court or surrogate's court of the county where you reside. And once it's accepted into probate, then the last will and testament is valid and it will control the disposition of those assets that are in your name alone. A trust is not like a will. A trust is an agreement. It's a contract between the creators of the trust and the trustees. And in order for a trust to be valid and to control assets, assets have to be titled in the name of the trust. So if it's a revocable trust, it's a trust that you control, you can revoke and you can amend, but the trust only controls assets that have been retitled in the name of the trust. And the same applies with an irrevocable trust. The big difference between a trust and a will is that a trust does not require to go through the probate process when you die. There is no probate for a trust. So if I were to die and I had a house and $200,000 in the name of the trust, immediately upon my death, the trust would terminate. The successor trustees would step in and handle the trust administration and then make the distribution of the assets pursuant to the terms of the trust without ever having to go through the probate process. One of the things that comes up frequently is uh, people with under the state and gift tax exemption think that they do not need to put assets into a trust and protect them. Is that something they should consider? Yeah, it's, uh, it's people that, for example, have small estates. They don't have an estate that would be taxable. For example, the the New York estate tax exemption is $5.85 million per person. The federal exemption for this year is $11.58 million. It's going to be sunsetting on December 31st, 2025, unless it's extended by Congress. But there are many other reasons to use a trust, not just to do estate tax planning. Uh, for example, we do a trust for seniors when we want to protect and shelter their assets from the cost of long-term care. Uh, any individual who doesn't want to go through the probate process will generally do a trust for their family rather than having their family go through probate with the will. Another very important reason to use a trust is when, for example, you are not going to provide for a child in your plan and you're cutting out somebody. Uh, when you have a trust and not a will, it makes it much more difficult for the person that could potentially challenge 
uh, a will, a, a person that's interested in your estate, because when there's a trust, it's a private document. There is no documents going to court, and the trustee basically acts under the terms of the trust and makes a distribution. So it has this added advantage of avoiding probate, making your file private, and the other possibility with the trust is in the event that you become incapacitated, rather than your family member running around to bank to bank with the power of attorney, uh, whatever assets are titled in the name of the trust, you are named as the ultimate, uh, the alternate trustee in the event that there is an incapacity. So uh, it's a, it has a lot of advantages, and it's not just for the, the rich or affluent. I mean, a trust can be used for somebody who only has a house or a condo or a co-op co and just a small amount of assets because, again, it, it avoids the probate process. It makes your affairs private. They're not on public record. There's no court filings. It's a much simpler process in the long run. Got it. Understand. Uh, young people adept at uh, utilizing the internet uh, to answer complex questions also want to use the internet to create a will or trust on their own. Is that a good idea? Well, there's nothing wrong with doing it. There's all these different companies that provide estate planning services on the internet. Uh, what I would say to them, the problem is that the documents that are often prepared are not really personalized and structured to that individual's own specific needs. You know, right. they're basically boilerplate provisions. You know, you're just plugging in information into the computer program, and then the computer is just giving you a document. Uh, I've seen many documents that were prepared on the Internet and there were significant problems with them. The provisions were incorrect. There were typographical errors. Uh, they were not really suitable for the state where the person resided. So there are definitely issues when dealing with you know, computerized programs and services such as those. And you lose that, that personal element of being able to speak to an attorney, tell the attorney what your goals, what your objectives are, you know, go into the details about your assets and really come up with a plan that is customized to your own specific needs. So that's really, I think, the big difference is the customization of the plan. And also there are the other documents that usually go with the plan. For example, a power of attorney. I've never seen really a good power of attorney come out of a computerized system. Uh, i give you an example of the powers of attorney that we use for our clients are 15 pages long. They're customized to a, a great deal. Uh, they have provisions about gifting in there. They have provisions about digital assets. They have provisions about person's businesses, stocks, etc. So it's that element, that element of customization that's missing with these computerized programs. Thank you. Uh, can you explain what decoupling means with respect to the uh, potential unexpected inheritance taxes? Well, the, the, the decoupling usually refers to uh, there being a difference between the federal exemption and the New York exemption. Yes. And, uh, you know, and that can apply to any state. So, for example, the federal exemption is $11.58 million per person. 
under federal law, there is this concept of portability. You don't really have to have assets in your name to take advantage of your exemption when you die. I'll give you an example. Let's say the exemption is $11.58 million and I only have a $4 million estate. What my spouse can do is file an estate tax return for my estate, even though there's no estate tax due, and elect portability so that the balance of my exemption, the seven or eight million dollars, depending on the size of my estate, will still be available to my spouse when he or she dies. So that's the, the key element. In New York, the New York estate tax credit right now is $5.85 million per person. And the New York credit has a, a very onerous tax attached to it. What happens is, first of all, in order for you to use the credit, you have to have assets in your name alone. So a husband and wife would need to have assets in their name alone to take advantage of the credit, the full 5.85 million. A joint account wouldn't work uh, and there is no portability. So you have to have the money in your name alone. There is no portability. And in New York, if your estate is 5% greater than what the federal the, the New York exemption is, the 5.85 million, then the entire estate will get taxed at the highest tax rate in New York, which is 16%. There's something called the estate tax cliff, and that's really the big issue. Uh, also, the, the federal credit is also an, a gift tax credit. So not only can you give away $11.58 million per person during uh, on death, during your lifetime, you can make taxable gifts gifts of up to $11.58 million as well. So I think that's what you're referring to when you talk about the decoupling. Yes. I, I, I just wanted to point out that that tax can be onerous where the state exemption is so much less than the federal exemption. Significantly less. And then this problem of going over the cliff. Uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, let's say I'm a single person and I die this year and I have a $6.3 million estate. That $6.3 million is 5% greater than the $5.85 million exemption. Thus now, my entire estate will be taxable. The entire 6.3 will be taxable at 16%. That's how onerous it is. And that's a significant yeah. amount of tax. So... Sure. Uh, you know, planning for the New York exemption is really important. And then one of the things that we do is have husband and wife divide their assets so that they're not in joint name, so that on the death of the first to die, there is as close as possible to $5.85 million in that spouse's name so we can take advantage of the full exemption and not lose it. Thank you for that. What assets are typically considered part of one's estate? Uh, virtually anything that you own, uh, you know, for example, under federal law, we tax all worldwide assets as part of one's taxable estate. So, you know, uh, house, bank accounts, investment accounts, uh, annuities, uh, life insurance, if they're owned by the individual that died, uh, those are all assets that are going to be considered part of the taxable estate and they're valued at date of death, fair market value. 
there's also an alter alternate valuation that can be done and can be elected. But the reality is that, you know, most times it's really fair market value on date of death and everything you own will be taxable. Now, if you own assets uh, jointly with your spouse, then what happens is the full amount comes into your taxable estate, then half of it is basically backed out of your estate because your spouse is deemed to own half of it and that would be taxable to them. But again, everything you own is going to be taxable in your estate when you pass away. Unless you have, for example, life insurance and you have the life insurance owned by a trust, you're not, or you're not the owner of the policy, and then that wouldn't be taxable in your state. And that's one of the reasons that individuals use a life insurance trust is so that the insurance would not be taxable as part of their state. Understood. Is it a good idea to try to avoid probate? And uh, how can that be done? Well, as I mentioned earlier, the, uh, the revocable living trust is really one of the ways we do it, or an irrevocable trust is another way that we do it. By not having assets in your name alone on date of death avoids probate. But when you're married and you have assets in joint name with your spouse, the moment that you die, those assets will pass to your spouse by operation of law. So if I have a $2 million house and it's jointly owned with my wife, the moment I die, that house goes automatically to my spouse, creating a potential issue vis-a-vis -vis the New York uh, state tax exemption. So that's one of the you know issues that you have to look at when you have joint assets. Sometimes having joint assets with a spouse is not advantageous. So avoiding probate, yes, it, there is a value to it because the probate does have a cost. Uh, you have to hire a lawyer to go probate your will. There are filing fees with the court to file the will and to go through the probate process. There is a timeline that has to be adhered to. For example, there's a period of time where you can find file an inventory of assets. Then there's another period of time that you have to file an affidavit of completion. And you know, you have to go through this process with the estate administration. That could be a process that lasts anywhere from nine months to a year. So that's something that you have to be concerned about is the delay and the cost and expense of probate. And again, that can be avoided by utilizing a trust. Uh, generally, most individuals use a revocable trust, uh, depending on your age and your concerns. If you're concerned about the cost of long-term care, you know, God forbid I have to go to a nursing home or God forbid I need home care. What's going to happen with my assets? Are they all going to be dissipated because I'm going to be paying privately for my care and not becoming eligible for Medicaid? So there's a trust that we do specially to protect assets. So utilizing trust and avoiding probate is a smart thing. I've been advocating for that for 35 years now, for almost 35 years, that you know avoiding probate is something that makes a lot of sense for most individuals. Yes. Can you shed some light on the ownership of property, which you've already touched on uh, utilizing trusts, uh, but which might be more favorable and why? Uh, uh, for example, tenancy in common, uh, joint tenancy with right of survivorship, uh, tenancy by the entirety, or, or, or common law property. Well, a tenancy in common, 
a tenancy in common actually works quite well if you're doing, you know, estate tax planning in New York State. Because what you want to do is divide assets so that each spouse has a divisible interest. So sometimes where a client does not want to do, for example, a revocable trust, but they're concerned about the potential for New York estate taxes, what we'll do is we'll title their house uh, between the two spouses as equal, excuse me, as equal tenants in common. Or we'll divide an account between the spouses as equal tenants in common. So that's one of the things that we do to basically divide assets between husband and wife so that they can utilize the credit and the exemption of the first to die in New York. So that's a common technique that we use. A joint tenancy with right of survivorship is a very common way that property is held. But as I mentioned earlier, it has a downside to it in that when you die, by operation of law, the property that's held with right of survivorship will go automatically to the surviving individual, and then it would not be eligible for the New York state tax exemption because it's not in your name alone. So I'll give you an example. Let's say, for example, I had everything jointly owned with my spouse. My wife and I, we have a joint estate of about $8 million. We have a joint investment account. We have joint bank accounts. We have a house that we live in that's jointly owned. And we have a uh, vacation home that's jointly owned. The moment I die, my wife becomes the sole owner of all those assets. It passes to her by operation of law. It doesn't go through my will. It's because of how the assets are titled. But what happened to my New York estate exemption? What happened to my $5.85 million when everything I own is joint? It disappears. It's gone. You never utilized it, and it cannot be utilized. So now, when the surviving spouse dies with an $8 million or more estate, a larger estate than $8 million, then that is going to be subject to the taxes because it's more than the $5.85 million. So again, having assets joint with right of survivorship or you know joint tenancy or tenancy by the entirety. Tenancy by the entirety usually refers to property owned by a husband and wife. So, but joint with right of survivorship can be owned by anybody. My brothers and I can have property with right of survivorship. My friends and I can have property with right of survivorship. So these are different types of ownership of property, whether it be a bank account or a, or a, a real estate or a condo or a co-op. So there's all these different ways that property can be held. But you have to always look at the tax consequences and you have to look at what are the objectives? What are you trying to accomplish? So when we look at a client's plan, we're looking at a variety of factors. We're looking at A, is it a taxable estate? Is this estate subject to potential estate taxes? If the answer to that is clearly no, because it's a very small estate, and even if the estate tax laws change, probably will not be taxable, then our next area of focus is how old are the individuals involved? Do they have a concern about long-term care planning? Are they worried about the cost of long-term care? And are, are there steps that we can take now to shelter and protect those assets from the cost of long-term care? Which there are. 
there are many steps that can be taken, but the most common step is utilizing what's called a Medicaid Asset Protection Trust. So as you can see, property ownership is something that your attorney should really ask a lot of detailed questions about. Whenever I sit with the client, I literally go through every asset they own. I ask them whose name the asset's in, how much the asset's is worth, what's the value, how's it titled, does it have named beneficiaries on it, because I'm looking to see how the property is going to pass on the death of that individual. Will it qualify for the New York exemption or will it not qualify for the New York exemption? So these are all the different factors that you know should be considered when doing someone's estate plan. Anthony, that's all the time we have for questions today, but I want to thank you so much for shedding light on these complex issues of will and trust planning. Uh, people seem to think that this is a very simple planning, but it, it turns out that there are some complexities to it. Well, as I like to say, there's no such thing as a simple will because it's, <laughs> it's, it's much more complicated than you think. Yes. Thank you very much, Mike. It was a real pleasure being on with, with you today, and hopefully everybody uh, walks away with some uh, educational information today. Thank you, and we appreciate your insights and hope you'll join us again soon. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Guys, this was a fantastic podcast. Anthony, thank you so much. You were an amazing guest. Uh, brilliant, obviously. I learned a lot today that I hadn't heard before. Michael, thank you so much for bringing Anthony on the podcast. If somebody wants to reach out and maybe ask Anthony some more questions or talk to you about this podcast, how do they get a hold of you? Uh, they can email me at mperry at opus-pc.com or call me on my office telephone, 914-825-1024. Perfect. Thank you so much, guys. This was a great podcast. I look forward to hearing from both of you again. Thank you so much. Anthony, thank you again. Thank you, Mike. Thank you. It was great being on. Stay well. And the last thank you always goes to you, the listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Opus Private Clients Wall Style Podcast with the team from Opus Private Client, LLC. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when they come out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your friends and family. Again, thanks so much for listening today. For everyone at Opus Private Client, LLC, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Style Podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Opus Private Client, LLC. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by PAS, Guardian, or Opus Private Client, LLC, and opinions stated are their own. Guardian, its subsidiaries, agents, and employees do not provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Consult your tax, legal, or accounting professional regarding your individual situation. Securities products and advisory services offered through Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS. Member FINRA SIPC. 
PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. Opus Private Client LLC is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. Opus Private Client LLC is not registered in any state or with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission as a registered investment advisor. 2022-141282 expiry 824.